Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Sometimes we think, well, okay, Jesus did it, but he was the Son of God. How could I, a mere man, or how could you, a mere woman, how could that happen? How could we do such a thing? Hey, Stephen did it. First recorded Christian martyr there in the book of Acts, as they were stoning him for his witness to Christ. He said, Father, don't lay this sin to their charge. Don't put it on their account. Today we complete Matthew chapter 5 and Pastor Sam's message entitled, Jesus' Most Difficult Teaching. We are looking at what our Lord teaches us about what it means to love our enemies, bless those who hate us, and why He wants us to do these things. Let's listen in, starting in verse 43. Now this word love, and you must be aware that the Greek language itself is much more expressive than ours, and it's just... It was, of course, the perfect language for the New Testament. That's why God chose it and used it. They actually have four words that we would translate love. First is storge. We usually don't get into it, but I want to take you down this road because it's so important to our study today. Storge is the kind of love we feel within our family. It's the affection and love we have for parents and for children and for brothers and sisters. And and it just speaks of something that you don't have to think about it or try to work it up or make it happen. It's just there. We love our families. And then there's that word eros. We get our word erotic from it, but it's just talking about sensual love, physical attraction. Again, I don't think that's something you got to work up to or make happen. It just happens. And of course, then there's that third word, philos. It speaks of brotherly love, more than love between brothers, but between friends. The kind of affection and care and concern that many of us have for one another. And uh, it's important to know that when he says to love our enemies, he, he's not saying, love them like you do your family. That would be unnatural for me to have an enemy and, and, and say, well, yeah, I feel the same way I do toward my enemy as I do toward Pam or I do toward my boys. That just doesn't happen to me. And then it's certainly not be attracted to them sensually or sexually. That's not going to happen. And then he's not saying, just deal with them like your friends. We're not. If we're enemies, we're enemies. And the Bible says, as much as is possible for me or for you, be at peace with all men. We're not even suggesting, nor is Jesus, that if you do all these things, your enemies will become your friends or they'll become family. I guess that can happen. But it doesn't always happen. Sometimes you love and you bless and you do good and you pray. And you know what they do? They just keep on cursing and, and doing evil and taking advantage. And so he's not saying if you do this, they'll do that. He's just saying this is what I want you to do. Why? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. But, but for this part, the word he uses, of course, is the word agape. It's the same word that's used in John 3.16. For God so loved the world... He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the love that God's demonstrated toward us. We didn't deserve it. We don't earn it. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial. See, it's not that Jesus looked down from the cross and thought, I'm so attracted to those people. Or I feel such affection for those people. That would have been unnatural even for Jesus. But he loved them unconditionally. And here's the deal. That kind of love is a choice. 
That's why when people say, well, I don't really feel like I could do it. It isn't about how we feel. It's a decision. It's a choice. It's a decision and a choice to obey the Lord. And if you say, well, I'm trying to love him. Well, then you really haven't connected properly with him because there's no trying to do something supernatural. I mean, try to fly. It won't happen. You know, and, and we might as well try to fly as try to love our enemies. If it's a work of our flesh, we'll fail. If it's a work of his spirit, it will happen. If we're abiding in him as he instructs us to, the fruit of the spirit will flow from our lives. The fruit of the spirit is love. And so we'll be able to do what otherwise would be impossible for us, to love our enemies, to, to, to bless and do good and to pray for those who really don't deserve it. And, and ordinarily, we wouldn't have even thought of it. And so that's the kind of love he tells us where to share. That's the kind of love we're to demonstrate in word, in works, and in our witness. Now, there's yet one more sort of intricacy here, and then we'll get to the why of all of this. The Greek in these four commands, and they are commands here, and even if you just have the two in another translation, those two still fall into this category. They're second person plural, first of all. What that means is he's speaking to you. He first spoke to those who heard and then later those who would read and those they would read too. And so when he says you, he's speaking to each and every one of you. He's speaking to me. He's saying you and he's saying you plural. So he doesn't mean some of you, but all of you. This is my will for you. That's what the Lord is saying to us. You, all of you, all who hear. In fact, in Luke's gospel, he actually uses the word all who hear. Now, lots of people were hearing words, but some people were hearing the concept, getting it, you see. And so, uh, second thing, as it would relate to the Greek itself here, is that it's present tense and active. That means that it's an ongoing responsibility. He's not saying, hey, if somebody curses you, bless them and let it lie. Bless them and keep on blessing them. If they do evil, do good back. If they, if they're, you know, persecuting or taking advantage, then, then practically, in, in an ongoing way, in a practical and demonstrable and observable way, he's saying, keep on loving, keep on blessing, keep on doing, keep on praying. And even if they keep on, and whatever they're doing, you keep on doing what God told you to do. Why? Well, we're almost there. The last thing I got to share as it would relate to the language here is that this is an imperative. What that means is that it's not an option. It's a command. It's an absolute essential. It's impossible to rightly represent the Lord unless we do these things, unless we obey these commands. And imperatives are just that not suggested suggestions, not options, absolutes, commands, essentials. And so love your enemy. That's what he says, or your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. We're to do it. We're to keep on doing it because he commands us to do so. Now, he gives us some reasons why, starting in verse 45, he says, first of all, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. Now, a lot of people think that 
everyone's a child of God. But the Bible says in order to become a child of God, you need to be born again into the family of God. And you don't do that by joining the church or going through some ceremony, by being baptized or christened or, or any of those things. In order to be born again, you need a spiritual relationship with the Lord. He tells Nicodemus, that which is born of flesh is flesh. I'd say we all, you know, we've all made it that far. We're here. We were born of the flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit, he goes on to say. Marvel not that I say you must be born again. And so the picture is there's got to be this spiritual reality. And in order to call God Father, in order for that to be real and true... We need to be born again. And and so when he says, then you will be, or that you will be, you may be sons of your father in heaven. Now, this idea of sons of, it's tied into the language again. You see, if you were a son of peace, that would mean you were a peaceful man or a peacemaker. If you were a son of consolation, as Barnabas is called, that would mean you were someone who went out to console others. The idea being, because they, they didn't have as many adjectives or use them the way we do, that they would just say, if you were the son of someone, well then that described what you were like. So son of peace, you're a peacemaker. Son of consolation, You're a consoler. Son of God, you're going to be like God. And that's really what he's saying. He wants us to be like him. He chose us to be with him. He chose us to be transformed into people just like him and ultimately to go out and represent him. But you can't start representing him until you become more like him. And you can't become more like him unless you're with him and being transformed by him. And so he says, this is why. First of all, because we represent our Heavenly Father. And that's our first and foremost responsibility out in the world. That you may be sons. That people might recognize us as children of our Father in Heaven. And then the second reason is not just that we'd be recognized as His children. Though the world does see goodness and and attributes it to godliness. But the second thing is that we would know and they would know how he is, what he's like. It says, because he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. You see, it's because of who he is and and how he is and what he looks like and, and what he does. God is good to the grateful and the ungrateful. He's good to the just and the unjust. He's good to the good and the bad. And if you really get this today, it's going to help you greatly in your sharing with others. Now, I don't want anyone to misunderstand. I believe God has incredible blessings awaiting any obedient believer. Things that disobedient believers miss out on and that unbelievers miss out on. But the message that we're to take to the world isn't just that they're bad or they're sinners or they failed. I think most people really know that. They might not like the terminology. Maybe you don't like being called a sinner. If you don't, you just don't really grasp that all there are, well, there's just sinners and then there's God, you see. There's God who's perfect and there's us and we've sinned. And so you're in good company if you realize today you're a sinner because every other person in this room is a sinner as well. But but here's the deal. Some people realize, well, I do some stuff that's right or I do always do what's right, but they don't like the idea of calling sin, sin. I encourage you to call sin, sin, because the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
So, you know, it's like, Lord, I know I did a little boo-boo there or I messed up, you know, or just say, Lord, I know I've sinned against you, that this is wrong. It isn't in your will or I failed to do what was your will. But in any case, where I'm going with this is because God is gracious and loving and merciful and because he blesses and does good and and prays for those who curse and hate and spitefully use and persecute, he says, this will cause you to not only represent me rightly, but, but the world around will know what I'm really like then. It's not that we're going out saying, if you'd get your life right, God would bless you. The message is, listen, God has blessed you so much. Do you know how good God is? He holds your very breath in your hand and he lets you keep on breathing. He makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust. He doesn't water your field because you're a Christian and let your neighbor's field go dry because he's a pagan. God waters the whole thing. And it's because of what he's like and who he is. So we're to do it because we represent our Heavenly Father and because that's how He is. It's what He does. And then He says, listen, and it's kind of good timing for this one probably. He says, if you love those, verse 46, who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Now, it's subtle, but there seems to be an implication that those furthest from God were the tax collectors or something. I don't know. As I get closer to April, I can start to feel that way. But, of course, Jesus chose a tax collector to be in his inner circle of 12 men that walked with him and and learned from him and went out to represent him. It's just common knowledge that Tax collectors aren't the most popular people on the planet. You see, and maybe the idea in their minds was they're the furthest from the nature and character of God. Why? Because God's so generous and giving and tax collecting is anything but generous and giving. Well, it might be generous and giving, but it's always taking mine first. And, and so anyway, he says, listen, tax collectors do that. Maybe we're not as hung up on that. Maybe there's someone else or, you know, maybe if it's like the Godfather, you know, even the Godfather takes care of his own. Well, not always. Actually, I saw that movie. He's nothing like Father God. Sometimes he's not even good to his own. So maybe he's not the right illustration. But but here's the point that Jesus is making is that even the ungodly, the heathen, the pagan, and if you have NIV or New American Standard, the second tax collector there is, the heathen or the pagan or the Gentile. And, and, and here's the deal. He says even they are good to one another, to their own children, to their own family. Even they greet one another. I read one commentator said, hey, even dogs greet one another. I mean, it's odd how they do it, but they do it. And, and so the point is, he's saying, How is this any kind of representation of the Lord if you just do what anyone and everyone does? Now, if you're going to represent the Lord, you have to be different than other people. And if you make the difference, you'll go around all haughty and proud and that won't represent him rightly. But if he makes the difference, and this is where we end up with this, when I recognize that there's no possible way For me, in the flesh or in the natural man to to obey these kinds of commands. I can't just say, all right, Lord, I'll love my enemies. All it'll take is, I don't even, they don't even have to be an enemy, just a bad driver. And, and I'm already, oh, I'm not supposed to curse. Well, I didn't say it, Lord. Yeah, but you thought it. And so still dealing and all of us will. But, but here's the point as we get closer to Jesus and grow more in Jesus and become more like Jesus, these things actually begin to happen in our lives. 
And it's, it's not automatic. And here's why. We mentioned that love, agape love, is, is sacrificial and unconditional. Another thing it is, that it is is it's an absolute decision on our parts. In other words, I have to decide ahead of time that I'm going to love people who offend me or speak evil of me or, or, or have it out for me. And then, having decided that, when I'm confronted with that situation or those people, I gotta, I gotta say, oh yeah, I've already decided I'm gonna represent you in this, Lord. I've already represented myself for far too long and I've misrepresented you for far too long. And so, I wanna represent you this time, Lord. I wanna bless because that's what you told me to do. I, I wanna do good because that's how you are. I, I wanna pray because I, I know that even now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. He never stops, he never quits. He keeps on going. And so we're to do exactly what he tells us. Why? Because that will allow us to rightly represent our Heavenly Father because that's how he is and what he's like and what he does. And because anyone can bless someone who's blessed them, be good to someone who's good to them, but only a child of God can love their enemy. Only a child of God can bless and do good and pray for those who curse and hate spitefully use and persecute and then he brings us finally to verse 48 therefore you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect now this is not a command although some translations well they they sort of make it appear that way if he were just saying be perfect well we've got real problems then don't we but but what he's saying is, in obeying these commands I have given you, in seeing that you're to love and bless and do good and pray, and that you're to do that, each and every one of us, we're to do it, and we're to continue to do it because he commands us to and and set an example for us. As all that's happening, he says, you will be perfect. What he means by that is we will be adequately and, and rightly representing him in our generation and to the people around us. There's no thought here of absolute perfection. And there actually is a small segment of Christianity that, that believes that we can be perfected in these bodies. Paul didn't believe that. He, he, he said he wrestled his flesh and his spirit continually warred with one another. Some have suggested that was before he was a Christian. No, before he was a Christian, there wasn't any battle at all. He was just in the flesh. It's when you become a Christian, the battle begins, the spirit and the flesh, both trying to dominate your life. And so here's the picture. In order to be perfect, we can't think abstractly or philosophically. We've got to think practically. And here's how it works. A baby is born with all its parts, but but. A grown man or woman is able to use all those parts. And that's the word. That's the picture he's given us. Yet you may have everything you need. And as a baby Christian, you do. But as a mature Christian, you'll use all those things that God has made accessible to you and, and provided for you to obey him and, and to represent him. It's about growth, maturity. It would be like a ship that was going out to sea. It was fully fitted, everything operating correctly, everything on board for the voyage, or, or a store that had everything you needed in it. The word is just used for being what you should be, what God intended you to be. 
And so when he says, be perfect, or therefore you shall be perfect, he's saying, people will see in you what God desires for them to see, and that's him. Another way to understand this, or, or perhaps clarify if it's not obscuring the simple and straightforward statement of our Lord, is, is that God has so fashioned each and every one of us that he can do in and through us what he wants to do. It's not like a cup is better than a saucer unless you want to drink something. Now, cats do fine on a saucer, but I prefer a cup. Why? A cup is perfect for drinking for me. And, and, and again, it's not that one is better than the other. In the picture we get in the Old Testament, and Jesus builds on it, is that we're but clay, and, and he's the potter. And if we're pliable, and if we're moldable and we're shapeable, then he can mold and shape us into something that will be useful to him, that will be right for his plan and purposes for us. But if we get hardened and, and we're inflexible, it's real difficult for the Lord to use us in the way that he's planned and purposed and intended Maybe, maybe some of you are a bit hardened. Maybe situations or family um, trials and, hey, they happen. Sometimes the enemies, your enemies, will be those in your own family. And if that's you and you've kind of gotten hardened and you've gotten inflexible and, and you hear this and it's like, all right, love them and bless them. And, oh, man, I know you want me to, but, Lord, I just don't know if I can. Here, here's how the Lord softens hardened clay he takes his word that he likens to water and, 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 and he just, just saturates us in the word. And as you're in it and it's in you, as, as you penetrate and, and allow it to permeate you, man, here's what happens. You're softened and he begins to shape and mold and, and he says, no, that's not working. Let's, let's make you this way. Let me reshape you. Let me remake you. And that's exactly what he's doing in many of our lives as we study through these passages so familiar to us and yet so much here for us. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. His, perfect is abs- his perfection is absolute. But, but he's not using it in that sense here. It's true that it's absolute. God's perfect in every way. But, but when it comes to a creator, well, he's the perfect creator because he's the only creator. When it comes to sustainer, he's the only one that can sustain our lives. When it comes to savior, well, there's only one savior. And so whatever our need is, God is perfect and can meet that need. And now he's saying, I want you to be like that. I want you to be so sensitive to me, so yielded to me. So aware of my presence and, and sensitive to my voice that I can speak to you and I can speak through you. That I can love the unlovely, the, those who are just, no one else could do it. I can do it and I can do it through you. And so first step as we get to the end of all this is the how we go about it. Well, first of all, we must be born again. I shared it already. If you're not a Christian here, it, it will be absolutely impossible for you to obey these commands. If you are a Christian, you are going to have to abide in Jesus because as he's the vine and we're the branches and apart from him, we can do nothing. What's this whole vine and branches illustration about? He says, apart from me, you can't bear any fruit and the fruit of the spirit is love. And he's saying, I want you to love your enemies. Hey, we won't even love one another the way he intends. 
if we're not abiding in him. And we certainly won't love our enemies as he here commands us. So first step is born again. Second step, abide in him. And then that third step is just to, just to soak up the word. Meditate on it later in the day. You know, biblical meditation, not emptying your mind, but filling your mind, chewing on these things, thinking about them, saying, Lord, I know that you were speaking to me back in the service and I know you've got more to say to me. Get alone with the Lord. Let him take these things home. Bring them to your heart. Let him make the changes he's wanting to make. Perhaps what makes this teaching so difficult really boils down to our willingness to deny ourselves. Loving people the way Jesus loves them has nothing to do with how we feel about them or how they feel about us. It's about taking their burdens onto our shoulders the way Jesus did for us all. Let's get together next time as we begin Chapter 6 in the Gospel of Matthew. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.